Hello and welcome back to Run the Table. I'm your host Bryce Tinson. Sorry for the uh, uh, MIA. Uh, I was on my I was on my I was on my deathbed for a little bit yep. there, and then I got you sick. So you got me sick AF. So yeah, I, I don't know what to call it. It was a little bit of a head cold mixed with uh, black Dude, plague. I don't know what you had, but I had iron lung. You know what I mean? I, like iron lung. Yeah, what's iron lung? <laughs> I don't know. Isn't that the thing where they or no? I think they put you. You have to have iron lung or something. I don't know. Whatever, Whatever it is, it sounds really cool. It's awful. Wait, it sounds really cool, though. No, yeah, I almost died. So, yeah, we didn't... Somebody got out of talking about Texas last week, this guy right here. Um, but I, I hear rumors. The people are saying that you're going to... Yeah, you're gonna talk it's, about it's hanging today. over my head. You know, I mean, the check is due. I have to pay it. I have to talk about Texas <laughs> after they lost. <laughs> Um, yeah, we hey, we had two great weeks of football. We're going to talk about this past week. He's going to talk about Texas. Um, and then we're going to talk about the NFL and, and the great week six that we had. So, Obert, you want to get into it right away. What are you going to start with? Uh, USC is cooked. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they are. This, this sucks. Uh, they got absolutely house 48-20 to 20 at Notre Dame. Did not at one point in that game look ready to play, come prepared, uh, or just all in all have... have uh, have it ready to go. Um, I don't really know what the explanation is. Um, coming off of a lukewarm performance against Arizona, I kind of thought Lincoln Riley would have something saved up. I thought he would have his best plays ready to go. And last year's Notre Dame game, his first 10, 15 play calls were absolute perfection. I mean, it was... And, you know, there were some misplays, some by Caleb Williams. Well, a lot by Caleb Williams. He played the worst game of his career for my money. Um, and, uh, and just overall by that offense... But there was nothing special. And what I think about that is that's just this year's USC team. I think this is a nine and three team. I think that I think we'll see what happens, but I don't think that they are at all a uh, contender for the college football playoff. And it's a shame that they wasted Caleb Williams since he deserves some of that blame, but frankly they gave up forty eight points. I don't know, you know, um uh how much is three picks really cost them, but it's just a shame because, um, you know, all of those offensive stars and playmakers have gone to waste. And yes, Alex Grinch deserves blame, but if you think the offense was nearly good enough to win in that Notre Dame game, you're wrong. Um, and and uh, and they had the talent to do it, but three turnovers, um, and obviously, if not more, actually, uh, and only scoring 20 points, I don't care what the defense is, it's not good enough. Um, they played... Worst game of the season, and frankly, this has gone on for four weeks. When that happens and, you know, a team doesn't look good, you think, okay, well, you know, they'll find it uh, in in a bigger performance, um, you know, because it was a look-ahead spot, and then that doesn't happen. That's just who this USC team is, and... um, and that sucks. So we'll see what happens. But this is uh, this is a low point. This is absolutely a low point. I thought USC matched up well with Notre Dame. Absolutely not. Um, this team has zero chance to be. I mean, listen, they still control their own destiny in the Pac-12. We'll see about that. But for my money, I think this is a two-loss team that does not make the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I agree with that statement. And in that, have absolutely zero really relevance this year they'll play in the holiday bowl and and you know it'll it'll suck ass so wait um, that's holiday bowl's good holiday bowl's a good bowl but like you know at the end of the day you know you don't ask how many holiday bowl champs you know how many holiday bowl wins maybe, maybe know, coaches we, have maybe we need to so uh it sucks they're cooked yeah they are cooked very cooked um georgia will be better without brock bowers and here's why whoa 
kind of crazy, right? So Brock Bowers um, did some whack shit to his ankle uh, against Vandy on Saturday. Got surgery on it. Seen some conflicting reports. Could be out for the season. Could be out four to six weeks. Um, if I were him, I probably wouldn't play just because why get yourself more hurt when you're already going to be a top 10 pick? Um, but he's a competitor. I know he is. However, <coughs> they have been so reliant offensively on Brock Bowers that it hasn't really forced them to be creative otherwise. They've dealt with a lot of injuries in the backfield, haven't really had a running game this year. They've relied a lot on sophomore quarterback Carson Beck, and he's done a pretty solid job, all things considered. Um but a lot of it has been the security blanket of Brock Bowers. I mean, the, the Auburn game, he had he took over in that fourth quarter, had two amazing catches that essentially won them the game. And against Vandy, he has, you know, another insane day, and, and they beat that team by 17 points. So this isn't the Georgia of last year or 2021. Um, that defense isn't nearly as good, and so they, ha- they have had to rely on the offense. Now you're without your best offensive player. Now it's Mike Bobo's turn to get a little more creative with it. He he has to find other ways to get guys involved and get guys open because you can't rely on Brock Bowers. You can't just be like, oh, here's the Brock Bowers play. Go run it. Or flip this switch. Okay, Brock Bowers, your turn, your time to shine. Go for 165 yards so that we can win this game. This is going to force him to get out of his comfort zone. It's going to force the offense to get out of their comfort zone. It's going to force Carson back to really become a elite level quarterback in the sense that he's going to have to be able to read the field. He's not just going to have guys open. He's going to have to have to, you know, move safeties with his eyes. He's going to have to find soft zones and be on the same page as, as receivers. It's going to have Ladd McCockey's going to have to step up. He's been kind of absent this year dealing with injuries. So I think overall you, you hate to lose a player like this, but in the grand scheme of things for Georgia, who Let's be honest, they're not really going to get tested, or we think isn't going to get tested in the SEC. We could be wrong about that, judging by the way they played against Vandy and Auburn and South Carolina. So they're, 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 they are vulnerable, but I would argue they're still the best team. This is going to be important for them when they get to the college football playoff. Like They're going to need to be way more creative than they have been offensively, and I think this is going to force them to do that. Um, I still believe in Texas. Um, you should, absolutely. You know, listen. I think I think the ultimate example of, of USC and Texas, you know, you look at the Red River game. Okay, Texas played their worst game offensively and defensively, really, of the season. Yeah. Three turnovers from uh, Quinn Ewers. Um, I think uh, I think it was two interceptions and a fumble. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess what? They're up four with or no up three with uh, very little time to go. This was um, a game that Texas played very poorly in and almost won the game. You look at USC. They have all those turnovers. They play a really sloppy game, and they lose by 28. Um, that's the difference between where those two teams are at right now. Texas is good enough. Their C performance, which it was against Oklahoma, if not C- minus or D+, plus, um, is good enough to help them hang around. For a school like USC, who's as limited as they are, like they have to play their A game. They can play their C game against Arizona. They can play their C game against Arizona State, Colorado, yada, yada, yada. But when they do it against, you know, a true competitor and a contender like a Notre Dame, they will absolutely get beat. They did um, like a drum. Uh, but Texas is not one of those teams. They, 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 for whatever reason, have something this year. And I think that loss against Oklahoma puts a fire in them. 
to really turn it on the rest of the season and and become a true uh, a CFP team. And with how Alabama's looking, twelve and one with a Big Twelve championship and a win over Oklahoma ought to do it. So yeah. we'll see what happens. But Texas still controls their own destiny, and I think they're good enough to uh, to to end up in the CFP. So we'll see. But I completely agree with you. I, I listen honestly. I think they're still the best team in the Big Twelve. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stand by that. Go for it. Dan Lanning was right to go for it when he did. Listen, in a game against Washington, against that offense that's capable of putting up 40 points, you have to get sevens. You're not going to beat that team by getting threes. And you live with the outcome, right? You trust your guys. You trust your offense that has been one of the most efficient and effective in the country to get sevens. It just so happened that when Washington needed defensive stops, they got them. And I don't necessarily love the play calls... (laughs) on those fourth downs, specifically the one right before halftime that they did the sprint out with with Bo Nix. Didn't love that play call. However, you live with it, right? Three points there does you what? You're down one. What difference does that make? Washington's going to come out, and they're going to score a touchdown. They're going to get a field goal. You're not stopping that offense the entire day. And... Yes, you can look at it in hindsight and say, oh, well, they ended up losing by, what was it, three points? Sure, but had they scored, had Oregon scored a touchdown there, um, we wouldn't, first of all, we wouldn't be talking about it. But second of all, if they kick the field goal, it's a different game. Who says that, you know, Washington doesn't come out of halftime and absolutely explode in the third quarter rather than lay the egg that they did? I mean, there was a reason that Oregon got out to a 28-19 lead at one point. It's because they were playing really well. Um, It just so happened that, they, you know, they ended up losing the game and weren't able to convert. But the, the fourth and three um, at the end of the game was the one I loved the most. Keep your offense on the field. They've been having a really good day. They ran for over 200 yards. Bo Nix threw for, I think, 300. You had over 500 yards of offense. Keep your offense on the field because who knows what Washington's going to be able to do if you give them a minute, you know, if you punt it away and you say, hey, you have, oh, I think they had all three timeouts. I could be wrong, um, but I, I think they had two at least. Hey, you have, you know, 75 yards to go, and it probably would have been less in this amount of time. Do it. They would have. I mean, you saw what they did in the, uh, in the 40 yards they needed uh, anyway, and it was two plays. So I like Dan Lanning going for it. They're trusting his offense. And on top of that, I heard somebody, I think it was Bud Elliott, say it's like, kind of like a two-for-one in basketball, right? If you think Washington's going to score a touchdown um, on that last drive, Go for it. If you don't get it, all of a sudden you have more time now when you get the ball back after they score their touchdown to try and get that field goal. They came close. It, it, it essentially worked down to that, right? And they just missed the field goal. So um, unfortunate outcome for Oregon, but don't change the process. It's it's what's made them such a great team. And I think that you know if they were to play again tomorrow, I, I think I'm taking I'm taking Oregon again because I I, I do think that they were the better team um, in terms of. You know, down to down process. So, I, my my two cents there. Um, you know, kind of the uh, uh, crazy result that nobody's talking. Oh, jeez, no, nobody's good. talking you're about good. for um, for good reason because you know not big brands at all. Louisville Pitt, uh, Louisville missed a golden <laughs> opportunity here. Um, and frankly, this has kind of been the thing uh, Jeff Brum's dealt with for a large portion of yeah. his career. Uh, he can get a team to eight and four, nine and three. Um, and by the way. It takes a lot of skill to do that at a program like Purdue or Louisville, um, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. But getting to that upper echelon and 
um, and becoming a ten and two, you know, eleven and one program, which sounds crazy. What? Well, how is that the expectation? Look at their schedule, folks. Um, yeah. The rest of the way, home against Duke is a tough game. Home against Virginia Tech, home against Virginia, at Miami, home against Kentucky. Like, obviously, there's a couple of losses in there, but the point being, you have two games that are pretty much free win. If you beat uh, Pitt, uh, you're 7-0. That's, I mean, you got nine wins guaranteed. 10-2, 11-1 at Louisville in year one. A golden opportunity to build some serious momentum for the program going forward. And now you just wonder. And I get it. There are excuses, you know, out the wazoo. Um, Jahar Jordan got hurt. you know, yeah, and, and, and you think about this Pitt team, it's like they're not that much less talented than Louisville. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a one-win team, but you're going on the road into an environment that wants to pull off an upset. Like, this team absolutely has uh, the underdog mentality, and when talent is close to equal, sometimes that can be really difficult. But having said all of that, three turnovers in this game were the complete difference. Like, Louisville absolutely could have won this game 21-14. Yeah, gets outscored 24 nothing in the second half. 14-7 lead at, at, you know, different points in this game. I think, yeah, obviously a pick six in the second uh Part of the game, two picks right in a row from uh, Jack Plummer. It it was a seventeen point you know missed field goal turnover on that. Just th- this second half of drives was an absolute abomination. You have zero points and one punt. Can, yeah. That is actually unbelievable. A turnover on downs, a punt, a pick six, a pick, a missed field goal, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. That is an unbelievable second half. Um, they absolutely missed a golden opportunity to get out to an insane start on the season and probably keep that going uh, at least to get to ten and two, in my opinion. And now you're, you know, I don't know, I don't know what happens to this team, but you have to think eight and four could somehow be a possibility if if you slip up against Kentucky, Miami, and uh, and Duke um, at home this or in, coming off of a bye. So. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, a bad loss from Louisville that's kind of getting swept out under the rug. North Carolina is a playoff threat. After, you know, they kind of dismantled Miami. And and there were two thoughts of with Miami coming off of the, the whole Georgia Tech fiasco. Were they going to roll over as a program and kind of just, you know, call it right this season off? Or were they going to bounce back and be like, and be fired up? And, you know, hey, we're that's not our season. That's not who we are. We're going to, you know, come out firing. I thought they were going to respond a little bit better than they did. Um, and they did in the first half. They got to a 17-14 lead, looked pretty solid. Tyler Van Dyke was playing really well. And then in the second half, North Carolina just kind of put their foot on on the throat of, North, of Miami and, and just took advantage of really every single um, mistake that, that Miami had. And, you know, one of the things that, that is really huge for this uh, North Carolina team was getting Tez Walker back, and it showed. He had three touchdowns, 150 yards receiving on six catches. Like, that is something that this this North Carolina offense was missing. They get it. It's not a surprise that in the first game that they have it, they score 41 points. On top of that, Miami got blanked in the second half until the score was 41-17, to 17, and then they started scoring some more points to make it a little respectable in the end, score two garbage time touchdowns. But, you know, for a team that had been a, a great balanced offensive team, they couldn't run the football. They ran for 93 total yards in that game. That North Carolina rush defense is 29th in the country. Like, kind of what we said about North Carolina was all you need is the defense to be average. You just need you needed to make, you know, big plays in, in, in specific moments, kind of like that LSU defense of 2019, and your offense is going to take care of you. 
And the past two weeks, the offense has put up 40 points, and the defense has played particularly well. Seven points against uh, Syracuse, and then 17 points in non-garbage time against um, against Miami this past week. I don't know, man. I, if I'm Florida State, I'm a little bit worried about North Carolina right now. North Carolina still has to go to Clemson. I believe they still have to play Duke as well. So they're, they're, they're not out of the... Um, they're not out of the woods yet, and they still got to win these games. And I think they also have to play Miami. Or no, 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 they just played Miami. Doy. Um, but they're not out of the woods yet. And so what's going to happen the rest of the season, I don't know. But I think I think North Carolina's a legitimate threat in the ACC. And I think if they get to the college football playoff, they're going to make some lives um, tough in, in, when they get there, or if they get there. Um, the high-end group of five isn't very good. The good news is, uh, and, and, you know, this year is in 2007. I think we know that now. Literally zero upsets for like, you know, the entire (laughs) season. The good news is we're getting four ranked matchups every week, if not, you know, five or six. So it's like, like, obviously there are some downsides to this. And, you know, knowing that like, hey, you know, the number two ranked team in the country isn't going to get beat every week. That's okay. Because, you know, every single week we're having huge, huge games. Penn State, Ohio State is a top 10 matchup. Last week, Oregon-Washington was a top 10 matchup, and it felt big. Mm -hmm. You didn't turn on the television and and were like, oh, this is a top 10 team, but these two teams are fraud. No, it was a high-level competitive game all the way through with both teams, you know, playing with a chip on their shoulder. Um, So the point being, you know, yes, chaos is a staple in college football. But the product of a little bit less of it this year with the you know high-end group of fives not being great and or at least consistent, you know, like Air Force has been good but hasn't really played a ton of people. The point being those high-end group of fives haven't – like if Wyoming beat Texas, like that would have been crazy in the moment, but it probably would have watered down the Texas-Oklahoma matchup and probably watered down the rest of the Big 12 race and just made things a little bit bleaker in that sense – um, if I'm trying to think of another, if, if Tulane beat Ole Miss, you know, that probably would have loved that. It, it, yeah, you would it probably, oh no, who'd you I picked Ole Miss, but I would have loved that. It, it waters down, you know, the Ole Miss Alabama game waters down some of this SEC West race takes away some of our ranked matchups. So yes, you know, obviously the upsets and the rushing of the fields and all of that feels less, um, uh, frequent, but the product of having all these ranked matchups every week and big games at Every single window except for a random noon window with absolutely nothing on last week, which was very <laughs> weird, probably because all of the great teams are out west. Um, outside of that, we are getting huge matchups pretty much every week. Next week, we have Oregon-Utah, Duke-Louisville, uh, Georgia-Florida probably will be a ranked matchup by that time with the people's um, love of Florida for some reason, uh, but they did look good. So, yeah, I think um, I think there's, there can be some positives with a little bit of... Lack of chaos. Certainly makes our lives easier. Yeah. <laughs> um, Arizona's a good team. Um, and I think people, you know, aren't aren't waking up to that yet. Maybe they are after their dismantling of, of Wazoo. But when Washington only beat Arizona by seven, I caught myself doing this. What? You only beat Washington by seven? Or you only beat Arizona by seven? Let me penalize you. I had, didn't actually watch the game because it was on Pac-12 Network. So there's no way for me to watch the game. Um and then the following week, they play USC really close. And I'm like, okay, uh, USC, fraud alert, fraud alert. Um, no, it turns out that that Arizona is actually just a good team. And, and it's a product of getting Jaden Delora out 
uh, out of the quarterback and getting Nick Ifita in there, and, and the freshman quarterback who's been phenomenal for them. Um, they're four and three and just beat Wazoo forty four to six. Played USC really close, lost 43-41 in, was it double overtime? Mm-hmm. Um, lose to Washington 31-24. Um, lose to Mississippi State in a game that Delora started. And lost that game by two, three points um, in Mississippi State. Like, we're a couple plays away from talking about Arizona as a 6-1 and one football team. <coughs> like, th- that is how good they have been this season. And it's kind of going under the rug because it's Arizona football, and, and they're not, you know, huge brand. It's not a huge brand. They don't really have any, you know, marquee players. But, you know, they're a good team. They deserve some respect um, in, you know, what looked like, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with Colorado. Colorado losing to Stanford, which I didn't make a takeaway. I don't know if you did, and we're, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about it. So we'll talk about it a little bit now. But, you know, you lose to Stanford, you blow that lead. Well, when you looked at the rest of the schedule, it was like, okay, they have a win against Stanford. They have a win against Arizona because the, the, the next four games were Oregon State, um, Washington State, Oregon, and, or not Oregon, um, UCLA, and... I can't remember. It was another ranked team. Was it Utah? I think it might have been Utah. They had to play, and it was like, okay, well, there's your there are two bowl wins right there to get to six and six. Now, with how good Arizona is looking, and you losing to Stanford, they might finish the season with four wins, right. which is kind of uh, which is a little disappointing because you were four and two, right? Right. Um, you know, who's to say whether whether or not they can win one of those games? But um, Arizona looks really good in. in they could even play spoiler, um, you know, against an Arizona or against an Oregon at this point. Or um, I guess everybody else is kind of, you know, in and out of it. Um, Oregon State, I don't know if they play, but watch out. Watch out for those uh, for those Wildcats out in Tucson. Uh, Michael Penix, um, he, uh, he deserves an apology from me, and I'm going to give it to him. Um, I'd like to apologize. I was not a believer in him uh, when he transferred to Washington. Uh, he made a lot of plays at Indiana, um, but... I just felt like he wasn't a consistent enough player. Um, in 2020, he was obviously was his big year with Indiana having uh, one of their most successful seasons ever. Um, my thing was 56% completion percentage, very volatile player. Um, it felt like when he was against lesser competition, uh, except for the Ohio State game that year, um, he, he, would, he would kind of capitalize, and then against some of the bigger teams, he really struggled to be accurate, um, and he had some great receivers that year, so I kind of felt like that helped him. And then his next year in 2021, some of my thoughts looked like it held up. Uh, 53% completion percentage, four touchdowns to seven interceptions. Um, average of five, uh, 5.7 yards, I guess, completion. Uh, not a lot to hang your hat on, or no, an attempt, I guess. Um and then the last two years, even last year, I kind of felt like, all right, he's playing in a very quarterback-friendly system, let's be frank. Um, and then, you know, this year, he's kind of put everything to bed. I mean, he has been absolutely incredible. 72% completion percentage now. His big issue uh, has been completely addressed so far. Obviously, they haven't played the stiffest of competition, but he made consistent throws against Oregon, um, and, and I thought, even outplayed Bo Nix, who played great in that game. That's not to put Bo Nix down at all. I think he should be uh, a top 15 quarterback taken in the NFL draft, or top 15 player taken in the NFL draft. But um, 
But having said that, I felt like that was maybe the slightest of differences was that uh, Washington receivers seemed a little bit better and that Michael Penix, when those guys were you know getting open and going down the field, hit them every single time. Uh, did not miss a single throw, it felt like, past you know, even 20 yards. So he played a great game. He deserves a lot of credit. He obviously threw the one pick, but uh, I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. He is a, uh, he's a great player. I mean, does it help when you have six years under your belt to kind of figure it out? Yes. You know, I mean, he's 23. It's like I, I, I kind of hope you'd figure out the accuracy thing against – you know, 18 year olds at some point, but, um, but no, he is, uh, he's an NFL quarterback. He should be playing on Sundays. If he plays, if he plays 15 games, so let's say Michigan or not Michigan, Washington makes it to the national championship game. His pace right now would break Burroughs passing yards in 2019, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, I'm going to talk about another guy. So right now, Penix is rightfully so the Heisman front runner. I'm going to talk about a guy that probably should have his name there if it weren't for, you know, his defense absolutely sucking win. And that's Jane Daniels. And I've come around on him. I have. Because Jane Daniels has done something that I didn't really think was possible, and that was maintain LSU's ability to to be a good team. Like, I, I after the Florida State game, I was kind of just waiting for LSU to fall off. I was like, okay, is it this week? Is it this week? Nope, it's not this week. Okay. Okay, I guess they're just not going to fall off. They lose to Ole Miss, but it wasn't because of Jaden Daniels. He actually made some insane throws in that game that kept them in it. I got that Ole Miss defense. And just week after week after week, he just continues to impress and make NFL-level throws. And, and on the ground as well, he's been phenomenal. He's, once again, he's on pace to do something that Kyler Murray did in 2018, which is, I think, throw for 4,000 yards and rush for 1,000. Like, that is the type of season that he's having. Kyler Murray won a Heisman. His team was a little bit better than uh, Jane Daniels, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, that defense has been awful. And Jane Daniels hasn't let that affect him. He's been, you know, I mean, when you look at statistically, he's been a top 10 quarterback basically in every single category. And then when you just look at the, the eye test, look at some of the throws he's making. Like, it's stuff on the money, and it's like, okay, Jaden Daniels is legit. LSU's offense is legit. They would be a national championship contender like a lot of teams, a lot of people thought if their defense was even average instead of being the worst, the worst pass defense in the country. Um, NFL time. NFL, going on to the NFL. Um, so starting off, you know, Great Sunday for us both, right? Uh, Browns won and Lions won. Fantastic Sunday for us. And that's where I'm heading into. Uh, The game I watched most intently was the Cleveland Browns game for obvious reason. I'm a huge fan. What's that? Oh, Um, that's the obvious reason. Yeah, not a homer, you know, of course, but... um, You're not uh, biased, right? Not biased, no. Uh, My biggest takeaway from that game is the Browns' defense is better than the 49ers. Wait, that was your biggest takeaway? That was my biggest takeaway. You didn't go in already thinking that? No, I did not really. I thought I thought it was on the same level. Frankly, after the Ravens game when we gave up twenty eight points and missed a ton of tackles against Gus Edwards and company, I had my doubts. Um, you know, you've mentioned as good as the Browns defense is, uh, you know, and all all of you've kind of built them up. And then watching that Ravens game, you know, before the bye week, uh, I just it just you know I had a hey, amen. I, I was angry. I was upset, listen, of course. Listen, um, they're giving up 200 yards a game. Right. The next this, closest. This, this is my takeaway. You know what I mean? And after watching the Niners game, it, it hit me. It's like the Browns defense <laughs> is absolutely the best in the NFL. And I think these two teams are very, you know, similarly built, except for a few, you know, slight 
differences and how they do it. So it's like the 49 they're both obviously built on strong defense, talented defenses that pay a lot of players a lot of money. Um, and when I thought about the teams in the game, the 49ers absolutely outplayed us. They absolutely should have won the game. Yes, we were given a couple of calls at the end. They got a couple of calls at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that had much to do with it. I just thought the big thing was Moody missed that kick. He should have made it. They should have won the game. I think that's really what it boiled down to. Um, you know, no yeah. no hate. And, yeah. You know, he's had a great season, but, like, that's really what I thought it was. There were missed calls on both sides. Um, it was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen. And, you know, they – and, you know, Excluding the fact, you know, they had all those injuries too. Debo goes down, Christian McCaffrey goes down. The Browns obviously didn't have their starting quarterback. So when both of these teams are fully healthy, I think the 49ers are a better team. I think the difference is offensively, the 49ers are built. All right, we are going to put everything we possibly can around our quarterback who was not paid very much because he was Mr. Irrelevant. We are going to give him the best running back, the best receivers, the best offensive line, and make his job very simple. And hopefully, in that, you know, comfortable space with the great play caller, he becomes, um, you know, a really good quarterback. The Browns are almost built uh, in the opposite mold on offense. We are going to put just this superstar quarterback, you know, uh, absolutely bona fide stud around some, you know, uh, I would I would say a lukewarm receiver room. And, you know, say what you will, that evidence couldn't have been any clearer with the performance of DTR and PJ Walker. No offense to, you know, Cooper, uh, you know, um, uh, Elijah Moore, that receiver room, like Amari Cooper, as good as he is, is an average wide receiver one in the NFL. It's just, that's just how it is. There are 15 players in the NFL. I would absolutely take over Amari Cooper. The numbers have backed that up. He is a very good player. And, you know, a lot of people go into like, oh, you know, the Browns got him for a fifth round pick. The truth is like he, he is an average number one in the NFL, which is, you know, saying a lot for a guy who's as old as he is and, you know, the career he's had. But even now, like, you know, um, David Njoku, you know, we mentioned it. He had three catches for 24 yards. He is, you know, an absolute athlete. But once he gets the ball in his hands, it's like a balance thing or something like that. But he cannot make a guy miss for some reason. You think about, you know, some of the other receivers. Elijah Moore has been, you know, really explosive. But, you know, he had one catch for eight yards. And, you know, P.J. Walker missed him a couple of times. Oh, no, that's uh, that's Kerry. <laughs> he had four catches for 19 yards. But that's been the point. Like, it's just not really consistent enough. Mm-hmm. You have an average one. I think maybe an average two, and then a plethora of guys who could be your three, but nobody's really stepped up. Donovan Peoples-Jones, your guy, you know, no catches, um, kind of had a tough year. Um, you know, David Bell, yeah, it's guy I was huge on coming out, has him, although made a great fourth down. So that's kind of the point. So it's it's some average playmakers around a quarterback who is expected to do everything. I'm not saying he's a superstar player. I'm not saying that, but that's the expectation. That's what he was yeah. paid to do. That was the draft picks, all of that stuff. The 49ers are the opposite. It's a every man, you know, quarterback who is expected to do his job around some insane weapons. The difference is Deshaun Watson has not played at the superstar superstar level, and Brock Purdy kind of has. Um, and that's the difference between the two teams. And that's why the 49ers are better than the Cleveland Browns by a good bit. Offensively, the 49ers are a much better team. But I look at the defense, and I saw what happened yesterday. Sorry for the long-winded uh, first take. But um, but I look at the defense. Passionate. And I, yeah. And I saw what happened, and... The Browns' defense absolutely outplayed the 49ers. Miles Garrett did not have the numbers um, that he typically does, but 
as far as you know, plays made between him and Nick Bosa against you know the relative competition of Trent Williams and I guess Jedrick Willis slash Dewan Jones, I thought Miles Garrett was much better. Yeah, um, and you know the corners for the Cleveland Browns were asked to do a lot against some some really good players. I thought they were fantastic. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson was in, was a force on the interior, uh, and and Zadarius Smith played well as well. So. I really thought that was the difference. The Browns' defense repeatedly made plays while the 49ers did what they you know needed to do against P.J. Walker, but um, but I, I did not quite think that they were the they were the same. So yes, it's close, but I think the Browns' defense is officially the best in the NFL. Uh, I've been saying this. I've been saying. Thank you for finally hopping on the bandwagon. Yeah. Welcome aboard. Uh, my first takeaway is that P.J. Walker is a better quarterback than Brock Purdy, and here's the reason why. His team won the game. Damn. Good point. Good point. QB wins, right? Is that is that how you do it? Is, no. Is that how it works? Listen, Skip's thing is about being clutch. That's Skip's thing. Okay, well, guess Which what? Often P- PJ Walker, like PJ Walker led his team on a game. Yeah, game when he drives. Like Skip would kind of be like, yeah, P- I, like my opinion of PJ probably. PJ Walker, better quarterback than but Brock Purdy. But he would also say that like Brock Purdy did the same thing. Wait, but he didn't tell his kicker to make the field goal. <laughs> Right? No. Right? Uh, no, my first takeaway is that are the Lions the best team in the NFL? Uh, listen, man, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go there yet. I can't say they were going to win the NFC North, but you'll say this. <laughs> I mean, come on. Listen, because because this isn't this isn't a race, right? Okay. This isn't a race. Um, I, I can't, mean, it literally is. like It's a race to the Super Bowl. You know. Well, but. no, but... But being like the being the best team in the okay. NFL isn't a race. Um, I don't. I can't say for certain, but you know, with the way some of those teams looked, like the Niners and like the Eagles, like the Bills, like the Dolphins against the Bills. I don't know. Maybe I don't. Know, I'm throwing it out there. I'm putting on some feelers. I don't. They just everything seems to be coming together for this team. Even with the amount of injuries that they've had, they just had guys step up and play really well. They're having guys have career years right now. Alex Anzalone is one of the best linebackers in all of football with the way that he's been playing right now. Um, their rookies have stepped up. Jack Campbell had a fantastic game. Brian Branch, when he was healthy, was one of the best nickels in the NFL already. Sam Laporta is a probably a top five tight end at this point. Um, the offensive line is playing at a top three level right now. Um, the wide receivers are stepping up. Josh Reynolds, Jamo had a, had a nice game outside of a, a drop, um, had the 45 yard touchdown. It might be coming together and, and running back is going to be, the, is, is going to be the problem, right? This is a team identity that loves to run the football. If Montgomery hasn't has a rib issue, we'll see how long that keeps him out. Jameer Gibbs has been dealing with a hammy, it's just not as explosive with Craig in the backfield. He's I love him, love him to death. He's he's a great team guy. He's a great change of pace. But when you put him in, you know he gets three carries, three four carries. He can't be you know an every down guy. Um, that defense though is is really why I'm saying this. Like based off of DVOA, they're playing at a top five level. The they I mean their DVOA in general is is number two in the league right now behind the 49ers. Like they are playing really good football. The last four games, they've won each by double digits and it's been dominant the way that they've been able to do it. Every single facet of the game is working right now and they're playing great football and some other teams are stumbling a little bit. Like I don't really think the Eagles are that good of a team this year. Like I don't think they're as good as they were last year. It doesn't seem like things are clicking for them offensively. 
or really defensively. I mean, it just seems like there's they're still kind of learning with some new offensive coordinators. I do think the 49ers are still probably the best team in the NFL. Um, you lose Debo, you lose Christian, or you lose Christian McCaffrey. I guess they didn't really have Christian McCaffrey for the fourth quarter, and that was it. But um, you're playing the best defense in the NFL. I think that they're still the best. That can change. The Chiefs are still up there. I don't know what the Bills are at this point in the season. The Dolphins are are, are probably up there as well. But it's just I'm throwing it out there. We'll see. Throwing it out there though. Um, this kind of goes hand in hand with that. No team is invincible. That's the NFL. Uh, yeah, you mentioned all these struggles. The Eagles struggled. You know, the 49ers struggled. I think it's more of a testament to the fabric of the NFL. The the gap between even the best team and the worst team, at least from a talent perspective, as compared to college football, is so different. The best team in the NFL compared to the worst team in the NFL, from a talent perspective, is so much closer. In fact, I would argue it's as close as the gap, maybe not this year, but most years, to the gap between the best team in college football and the 25th best team in college football. You look at the lines for these games, it's you know, 17, 18, 19 at most. Oregon will be a 20-point favorite over, you know, a fringe top 25 team in, in Washington State. And maybe that's because Washington State's kind of buns and people yeah. are just swinging up to it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Like, it is so different in that sense that anything like this can happen. You know, I mean, the 49ers win that game against the Browns so often. But kickers miss kicks. Guys get hurt. You know, quarterbacks don't play well in a game. And... You know, a home field advantage, a team coming off a bye, enough will, enough hunger, and results like that happen. Same thing in the Eagles game. It's it really just boiled down to Jalen Hurts making a bad decision late in the game. Yep. See it all the time. In fact, we saw the exact same game in week one with the Bills and Jets. The Bills were in control the entire game as long as they didn't turn the ball over. But that's what these guys are paid to do. You know, I mean, these defenders are really good for the Jets. Um, and, and, you know... These guys have been in the league so long, they make plays. You know, yep. They're so good yep. at football. They, they make plays when it counts, and, and anything like this can happen, and it does happen. In college football, we have an undefeated team almost every single year. In the NFL, we've had one, one ever. Two. We've had two in the regular season. Two in the regular season, one ever. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a crazy league. It's a crazy league, and it's no coincidence that, you know, there's no undefeated teams because this stuff happens. And it's not even the Eagles getting knocked off by, let's say, the, you know, Bills or a fully healthy, like, Browns team yeah. or whatever. This is the Eagles losing to the Jets, you know? The margin for error is just so small. It's so small, and if, if you don't play great, like, the truth is, as crazy as it is to say, the Eagles' a C game versus the Jets' Not even A game, like A minus game. They weren't insane offensively. Yeah. Like it's enough to lose, mm-hmm. uh, especially on the road. Like that's enough to happen. This sort of thing can happen all the time. You know, uh, I, I wouldn't overreact to it too much. You know, you know, maybe the Lions are the best team in the NFL, but but I think it's just the nature of the league. Yep. I really do. Yep. Um, okay, so my next two kind of go hand in hand. So Tyrod Taylor is a. Do you want me to, to, what do you want me to let you go? You yeah, you know what? I'll just take the next two. Tyrod Taylor is a starting quarterback in the NFL. I, I have full doubt of that. Or that was a weird sentence. Full understanding. I have. I, have, <laughs> I don't. I don't think understanding was the way I was going to go with that either. I have full confidence in in that statement after last night's game. He made some NFL 
throws. I mean, he's an NFL quarterback, right? But he made some legit throws down the field. And yes, the the um, the Giants had two possessions at the end of the first half and the end of the second half where they were at the one-yard line, didn't score points, only kicked three field goals, lose that game. What was it? Uh, 14, 14 and 9. And, nine. and it, yes, he only scored nine points. My point is, is that Daniel Jones... Was was looks like he was incapable of playing quarterback within that offense. Tyrod Taylor comes in, throws for two hundred yards, is throwing balls, you know, thirty yards down the field on a on a on a dive, fitting it in between safety and corner, hitting hitting these these windows. And and the excuse that Giants fans were giving from Daniel or for Daniel Jones was that oh, there's no time in the pocket, he can't throw the ball down the field, or you know, that was the main one that I saw, but. Tyrod had to deal with the same offensive line, you know, had Andrew Thomas out and looked like a competent quarterback. And, and that Bills defense is very good. Let's not, you know, let's not act like it was some bottom level, you know, NFL defense. That's a good Bills defense. And he was, he was looking really good. Meanwhile, we have a guy like Desmond Ritter starting in the NFL. I mean, what, what are we doing? We were, we were sitting here watching that game. And right. it was like it was like every opportunity that Falcons defense did a phenomenal job of giving giving them opportunities to stay in that game and and every single time it looked like oh my gosh the Falcons have a shot they're down eight points they have a shot and Desmond Ritter just like woo I, I, okay, I yep. literally feel like that happened five times yeah, I don't I know do. if I was wrong but I feel, I feel like I feel like it was at least three yeah I feel like it was at least three times that happened where we're watching the game the Falcons are driving after the defense just gets a stop and Desmond Ritter throws an awful pick and it's like it's like are are we serious like so he threw three picks the, I, I, I I'm pretty sure they all came in the, yeah they all came in the second half <laughs> it was so bad it was like it was like oh my god the, the defense, I think, uh, the defense didn't allow any points off of them. Am I, yeah. am I right about that? Uh, no. The no. first one? The first one, yeah. That's right, though. I was like, I was like, this is unbelievable. The defense is playing an insane game. And Desmond's like, yeah, I'll, I'll keep throwing picks. How is it that that guy is a starter in the NFL, but a guy like Tyrod Taylor, who every everywhere he's been, He's looked like a, like a starting caliber quarterback. Something weird happens. Like his lung gets punctured in, in Los Angeles, and then Justin Herbert starts. And obviously, Justin Herbert played out of his out of his mind. You're not going to start Tyrod after after that. But like everywhere he's been, he's been a very capable starting quarterback, and somehow was just still a backup. Comes in again this week, plays phenomenally, and it's like okay, yeah, I would rather have him than like the bottom. Th- Eight quarterbacks in this league. Um, and it's just it it baffles me when stuff like this happens, especially a guy like him who's who is like he's a pro's pro. Like he goes in, he does his job, he does it the right way. He's a team player. He's a really good locker room guy too. And for whatever reason, just cannot find a starting job at one of these teams. But like I don't know. To me, he's kind of in that same mold as Baker. Like how, how, Baker starting and Tyrod isn't. I don't know. I feel, I feel like he should be. Um, the NFC South is who we thought they were. Um, you know, I, I was like, oh man, the Saints are third. They were my division pick. You know, I must've been wrong. And I was like, no, I wasn't wrong about the Saints. They're exactly what I thought they were. They would be eight and nine and win the division. It's the other two teams are a little bit better watching, watching yesterday's games. No, no, they're, they're, they're all as bad as I thought they were like the, like the Bucks. Even they looked like the best of the bunch. Yeah, did not play a great game. Well, when you look at their three wins, it's Chicago, right? It's Minnesota, and yep. then it's um, it's the Saints. Yeah, I mean it. It was an abomination. I mean the Falcons were the worst of the bunch. My lock at two points. I obviously didn't like that game. I tried to change it at the last second, but uh, no, I actually didn't. But like I thought about it, but. Um, 
uh, I, 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 you know, I was like, all right, whatever. You know, there weren't a ton of good locks out there, and they played abysmal. I mean, you know, and Desmond Ritter deserves a lot of blame for that. You know, the three picks towards the end. Uh, they made some actually, like, some of the playmakers made some great plays. Mm-hmm. Drake London, Drake London included, had a nice game. Bijan Robinson made yep. a ton of really nice plays. He deserves some credit for that. And obviously, you mentioned the defense. So a lot of good, but. No, I mean, 16 points, like, that's not going to get the job done. Um, obviously, Desmond Ritter's not good enough. Saints, again, with a really bad loss. And the Panthers are quietly the worst team in professional football, uh, which really caught me off guard because, you know, Frank Reich, say what you will, he's had some decent teams, you know. I mean, he's been awful this year. He, he's had a tough year. You nailed it. And then, you know, this probably the biggest surprise so far in the NFL. Bryce Young has been terrible. I mean, Talk about a guy, you know, in college. I mean, I'll say I, I don't think he had for the majority of his career insane Alabama weapons like you're used to. No. You know, it wasn't the no. Jerry it Judy. Was, it was Jamison Williams. Yes, it was, was Jamison Williams <laughs> for like Mechie. a year, and then John Mechie for the majority of his career. And the majority of his time there, he's yeah, last offensive year's weapons were awful. Offensive line wasn't even that good. The majority of the Alabama games you watched, whether it be Auburn making plays late, and I mean making plays, yeah. spinning out of tackles, Texas, Texas game, mm-hmm. you know, made, made some great plays down the stretch to lead them on a game-winning drive. You're like, this is a guy who's doing things with, you know, average to, like, or like, with talent that's as good as his competition, but no better. You know, in the Texas game, that was true, and he looked really good in that game. And he gets to the NFL, and it looks like just way too fast for him. Um, he he looks like like he'll see a pressure coming, and he just gets just gets blitzed. I don't know what it is. I think there might be a little bit of like Tua early on, where it's like he's not the athlete he thought he was, and he's really going to have to rely on his arm for the rest of his career. Um, but at least as of right now, it's ugly. Um, for, for, for him and the entire division. So I still think somebody's going to come out of that division eight and nine to win. Uh, I was not impressed. Yeah, no. Um, Gino might be cooked. And and I don't... Listen, I, I don't think he's actually cooked because he has played at, well. He Like, he's had his, his games this year, the Lions game in particular, where he was just dicing up our defense. But, like, when are we going to have a conversation about Gino... Because this last game against the Bengals was very bad, yeah. and and his week one against against the Rams in the second half was very bad, and and so it's not like this is the first time that this has happened, but we were watching that game and and two times, so he had two picks, but that's not even talking about the last two drives of the game for the Seahawks. Yeah. They're down seventeen nothing. They're not 17 nothing, 17 13. And they get the ball inside the Bengals' 10 yard line. They're down at the Cincinnati 7 at their best. And Gino takes or has two really bad throws, yep. takes a bad sack, and then on fourth down, takes a sack again. Yep. And, and I was like, okay, well, because we had taken the Seahawks, right? It was a two point, it was a two and a half point spread, three, no, it was three point spread. And we had taken the Seahawks. And so we were kind of tuned into that game. And it was like, oh, well, I guess there goes our spread chances. Defense gets a stop, they get the ball right back. Mm-hmm. The offense drives back down the field. And credit to Gino, he, he got the team down there. And then when he got inside the red zone, I don't know if it's just the shrunk field, like, I don't know what it was, but again, third, first, second, third, and fourth down were all. There were two bad throws and two bad sacks. Yeah. Last play of the game was a sack, and it was like it's like you have to get the ball out there. And I I understand the pocket was collapsing. And they're playing with some backup offensive linemen, but the backup offensive linemen haven't been a huge problem this year. 
and he just takes a sack. He eats the ball and it, on a play where you cannot eat the ball. And, and so I was, and I don't know if it was just because I took took Seattle and I was very, I was really disappointed. But like, you can't do that. You just right. can't do that. No, um, I'm starting to lose faith in Dak. This one really hurts because he is seriously. Uh, uh, one of the players I like more in the NFL. Um, it started in 2021. He played, I think, or no, maybe 2020. Yeah, he played the Browns, and I can't, I can't tell you, he played amazing in a game that we won by, I think, two or nine, or no, I think it was nine, and and they put up all a bunch of a ton of points. He threw, I think, a couple of picks, but the amount of just layered throws he made against us, it just opened my eyes. I was like, this guy can throw. I don't know what what the discourse is. And then the next year, he backed it up with one of the best year, the best year he's ever had, 2021, 37 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, high completion percentage, good amount of passing yards. I mean, I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me, but this is what I remember. I mean, an insane year that, and no no one really talks about it. The, the message is, oh, we can't win games. It's like, guys, like, he's got pretty good receivers, but these are, like, I'm talking, you know, you those types of stats are really top five you know, in the NFL mm-hmm. quarterbacks. Um, and last year he plays, you know, pretty average the whole year. Um, not a great, I mean, you know, the interceptions you could talk about for, you know, 20 minutes in its own. I mean, 15 interceptions yeah. just really struggled in large parts of that year. Um, just, just really struggled with turnovers, but you know, that's turnovers, right? I kind of thought that was a blip on the radar, you know, and he's coming this year. And it's been a lot of the same stuff. The Cowboys yeah. are playing tonight against the Chargers, but that 49ers game was abysmal. Um, it's nothing you can blame on anybody else. I don't think he is an insane receiver room. I think CeeDee Lamb is a fringe top 10 receiver in the league, and that helps. But Brandon Cooks has been nowhere to be found this year. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think that hurts him. But at the end of the day, at some point, you got to make plays. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, you have decent enough weapons. Tony Pollard's a really good receiving back. You should be... You know, managed to be uh, a, a top ten quarterback because, frankly, you were just two years ago, and um, and I don't know. I mean, you can only wait for so long. It's like the guy has been so good in years past, but until you see that uh, um, glimpses of it again, um, I don't know what to say. I think the critics, at least for now, are in a pretty good spot with Dak. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's it's tough, and, and it's, it's something because you've you've been the biggest defender of Dak, and, and it's been tough, you know, to to kind of see this because he hasn't looked great. No. And and you know, as right as you were about Trayvon Diggs, mm. Dak. I had to take your lumps with Dak. Um, D'Amico Ryan's might be the coach of the year. Like like the job he's doing in Houston right now surprises. Surprised me. I, I'm sure it surprised you. Absolutely. It surprised damn near everybody. So let me take you through the Houston Texans season so far. They lose to the Ravens 25 to 9 in week one. We kind of figured that that was going to be the case. Like, I don't think anybody was too surprised by that result. And they lose to the Colts in week two, 31 to 20. That game was a little bit closer than the final score indicated. But all in all, it was still, you know, okay, they're 0 2. This is kind of what we thought from the Texans that it's not a it's not a great roster. It's not really a talented team, um, but they're you know they're hanging in there. They're playing tough. They look like a competitive team, and they come out and they just beat the Jaguars in Jacksonville by twenty right. points. And it was like okay, what? And and the Jags don't have a great history of playing the Texans very well. But even that score was surprising. It was like okay, hold on a second. Maybe this Texans team's got a little something to them. Maybe they're a little shysty. And then they come out and beat the Steelers thirty to six. I was like. Yeah, this team's probably, you know, a solid team. And, and 
it wasn't the fact that, you know, it wasn't just the fact that they, you know, held that Steelers offense to six points that hasn't been a great offense. It was the fact that they scored 30 points on that defense. It was like, okay, that's that's impressive right there. C.J. Stroud looked really good. That defense is kind of coming together. And then they play the Falcons really tough. Almost win that game. Young Way Koo hits a, a kick as time expires, and they win that game uh, by two points. And it was like, okay, the Texans could be three and two right now. Like they could be three and two and tie to top that division. And then they come out this past week and uh, yesterday and beat the Saints twenty to thirteen in a game where it was like Derek Carr could not get anything going, and the offense. Listen, the Saints defense is good. Don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. They're probably a top ten defense. And CJ Stroud had really no issues, you know, moving the ball down the field. And they still haven't been able to run the ball well. But they win that game twenty to thirteen, and all of a sudden the Texans are three and three have a better record than the Titans, have the same record as the Colts, and are only one game back of this division uh, with the with the four and two Jags ahead. They have the tiebreaker right now. Now, if they can win at home against Jacksonville, we're, we're talking about the Texans as a potential division winner. Now, do I think that'll get to that point? No. But I think this Texans team can win nine games. At, uh, the way they're currently constructed, I, I legitimately think they can win nine games. And if D'Amico is able to do that, having a defense playing as well as it has, man, I mean, when... They don't have a ton of guys, right? They don't have a ton of talented guys like key names where you're like, oh, they have him? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. No, there's not a ton of that. It's like Jalen Petrie and a banged-up Derek Stingley trying to cobble something together. You got Will Anderson, obviously. He's playing really well this year, but I've been solely just so impressed with D'Amico Ryans, and this was kind of what we expected and, and why he was such a hot coaching commodity uh, in last year's cycle. Um, the Bengals still have serious issues. I mean, serious issues. Um, it has not looked good in, in Cincinnati. They no. win against the Seahawks. They're three and three. Defense is playing phenomenal, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. But they have yeah. not figured out this offense. So, forty-six yards rushing um, last week against the Seahawks uh, in that game, and you're like, okay, well, you know what? They're not really a running team anyway with receivers like that and Joe Burrow. Yeah. So he is twenty-seventh in QBR, right? Twenty-sixth in passer rating. Yep. Um, he threw another pick, 185 yards passing. Um, he, he's the, his, his passing yards, uh, 1230 passing yards on the year. How many is, games have we played? What six? Six, something like that. Brutal. He's projected to throw for 3,485 yards. You know what the crazy not thing bad is? for 2010, 2023. <laughs> the, the the crazy thing is, is that his first two or three drives of the game were like. Okay, Joe Burrow's back. Right. And then he just reverted to whatever the hell he's been doing. <laughs> he took three more sacks. This offensive line has been an abomination since he so since bad. he first <laughs> since he first got there. Um and you know, they still haven't broken the offense out of the glass. I don't know what the issue is, but a lot of these you know, uh, Bengals fans really, you know, uh, belief in result over belief in process. But this offense and this team did not look good at all. And it took, you know, I don't know, some really bad play from from Geno Smith and, and mm-hmm. the Seahawks offense yep. to really keep them alive uh, in that game. You mentioned the, uh, you know, the plays that the Bengals made defensively, and they uh, deserve credit for that. But this offense and the lack of production in total yardage, point, whatever you want to look at it, it is. It should be alarming. It I mean, probably shouldn't. I mean, if we're being completely honest, they probably shouldn't have won this game. No, absolutely not. Not in my opinion. I mean, you look at total yards, yards per play, uh, dominated by the Seahawks. I'll get the exact stats right here. Here we go. Um, team stats here. Listen to this. 24 thir- first downs to 15. 381 total yards to 214. 
170 yards outgained. Oh, okay. Well, they had a lot more yards. The yards per play wasn't close. 5.4 to 4.0. Like, that's yeah, not close. And you think, bad. oh, no, no, no. That's like 25%, you know, increase there. This was, you know, like an absolute, just one team could not execute in the red zone. The other couldn't. That's a fundamental part of football. But over the long term, when you play teams who aren't starting, you know, a couple of backup offensive linemen and can get the ball out on time and have a playmaker at quarterback, no no disrespect to Geno Smith. He didn't make a lot of plays in the Bengals game. Are you going to win that game? I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of the talk has been, oh, they've been out to bad starts in years past. They've been fine. This team, this version of this team right now, as they look, is not good enough to go 13 and 4. They're not. They're not a top 10 team in the NFL. Frankly, I don't know if they're a top 15 team in the NFL the way they're playing. Exactly right. I think I think they are at best an average team in the NFL right now. We'll see how it goes the rest of the season. If they turn it on, Joe Burrow figures something out and that running game unlocks a little bit. Yeah. Obviously the Bengals have the the opportunity to be a 10, 11, 12 win team, but until then, I mean, am I crazy for thinking that this team wins eight or nine games this year? No. I mean, I, I that's what I've seen so far. So we'll see how it goes. But this, you know, kind of pocket of, of games here at 49ers, home against the Bills. Yeah, this, you know, the schedule does not. I mean, the, the next stretch of games is absolutely brutal for them. At the Ravens, like, this wasn't the hard part of their schedule coming into the season. No. At the Browns, home against the Ravens, home against the Rams, at the Titans, at the Cardinals, home against the Seahawks. That wasn't the hard part of their schedule. This next part is. Four-game stretch with at 49ers, home against Bills, home against Texans, who vastly improved, like you've mentioned, and at Ravens kind of will tell the story. So we'll see how it goes, but uh, definitely some issues that have to be ironed out if this team wants to stay above 500. They're going to have to target offensive. Like, literally in the next draft, only draft offensive linemen because yes. they have they have not been able to figure it out through three free agency like they've they've tried and I give the, their front office credit for it they've tried to patch this up they haven't been able to it's time to try something different yep. it's time I'm good thank you guys so much for watching hope you enjoyed catch you on the flip see ya.